0: This is the 121 Community Church Podcast. For more information about 121, visit us at 121cc.com. I want to encourage you this week as we uh, head into the midterm elections uh, to vote, uh, just to cheer you on that way. We learned from Scripture a few things that we should be a part of as Christians. Uh, One, we're to pay taxes. Uh, Jesus was really clear uh, that we're to be a part of that. Uh, And so we want to be faithful and honorable uh, with integrity uh, in doing what Jesus said there. Uh, He also, uh, we find in God's word that we're to pray uh, for our leaders and for those who govern us. Uh, And so we want to be faithful to pray uh, for them. So let me cheer you on uh, to pray. Scripture says not to complain, uh, but to pray. Uh, And so we, we have much more effect on what goes on in our nation when we pray than we do when we complain. Uh, So let me cheer you on that way. Uh, And then the scripture also tells us that we're to submit to our governing authorities. Uh, And so he has on purpose placed us in this cultural moment, uh, in these boundaries, under this government. Uh, And God's very intentional uh, in what he does. uh, And we want to submit and yield to that up to the point where we're asked to be disobedient to the Lord. At that point, we part ways. Uh, and we have to be willing to to pay a price uh, for our faith at that point. Uh, and that would be each of us leaning into the Lord and what does that mean uh, in the way God calls us. And, uh, and this week we, we happen to live in a country uh, by God's design where we get the privilege to participate uh, in who our leaders are. Uh, and so I would just encourage you, uh, if you haven't voted already, to do so. Uh, and to see what God does uh, with that. My confidence today, by the way, is not in a political party. Uh, It's not in a a political leader. Uh, My confidence is in the God who channels the hearts of those leaders to accomplish His purposes. So regardless of how things roll uh, in any given year, uh, my trust ultimately is in Him. Uh, And we're the most attractive of people when we reflect that trust in God. Uh, in the society around us. So that's my prayer for us as we do that. This last uh, weekend, or this weekend as it continues on, our uh, men are on retreat, uh, at least a portion uh, of our men. Uh, About 200 plus guys uh, took off this weekend. And uh, our theme for this whole year has been outside, uh, getting outside of our comfort zone, seeing if God would stretch us to a place and we'd be willing to follow him into that place. Uh, whatever that is, to get outside the four walls so our faith is not contained uh, within these walls, but we're Uh, bold outside of these walls. And then we've thought about 121 Outdoors and how can we uh, on purpose get small groups of people out into God's creation doing the kinds of things that we love to do. Uh, Whatever it is that thing you love to do outdoors. And can we gather a small group of people to join us with a more intentionality of spending time with God in what he's created, spending time with each other talking about what it is that God has done with the hope that that would evoke in us a more of an awe and a wonder of him. Uh, and, and that's happened all year long uh, with groups going out and doing different things. And, and the idea for our men's retreat this year was, could we do that with our guys? Rather than gathering in one location, uh, could we go out to lake houses and ranches and, uh, and camp encampments and and just be outside this weekend? Uh, And our guys did that. And so we had uh, 20 different locations, uh, 200 plus men, 25 groups working in those locations. Uh, And uh, it's been pretty incredible what God's done. Uh, We didn't bring in a a worship leader uh, for the weekend. We didn't bring in a speaker for the weekend. Uh, It is designed around spending time alone with God then gathering up with the small group and talking about how God met us in that space. And it's been really cool to watch God uh, work and for men to be encountered in ways uh, that maybe they've not been encountered before. We asked some guys just to send in some videos and pictures just so you could get a a glance uh, at what happened. This is pretty organic footage, and so we just want to at least give you an idea of uh, a little bit of what happened. So I'd like for us to just pick up on what happened this weekend. If you turn your Bibles to Psalm 104 uh, and I'd like for us to to work through this psalm today Uh, and my hope would be that if there's not already an awe and a wonder of who God is in his creation uh, that today that we'd be awakened to that. Uh, I'm afraid that uh, in these last few years that uh, we've been put to sleep in so many ways uh, and darkened in the way that we see things uh, and, and, uh, just, and down uh, about things. Uh, and as someone said this week that I was listening to, so, you know, it, it just seems like we've lost an awe and a wonder. That there's not a, uh, just a, an awe about the little things that happen in life and a, and a wonder of God. It's when we have an awe and a wonder of him that that we'll more likely want to serve him, follow him, and enjoy and love him. Uh, Minus that awe and wonder, uh, it it misses a bit. And, And so my prayer has been for today that just in a small way that from the scriptures that God would awaken in our hearts a fresh awe and wonder of him. Uh, and that that would stir us in a way that there's a joy and a peace and a life that flows through us as we have that wonder recaptured. For many of you, it may be a wonder and awe that you already have, and I hope today just stokes the fire a little bit more. Uh, For many, uh, we've gone stagnant into sleep. I hope it awakens us, uh, and for some of us, we might simply be dead in heart today, and maybe God will stir our hearts and make it alive again. That would be a good day uh, on this day and stir all of our hearts uh, to awe and wonder of Him. And The way I've thought about this psalm uh, is uh, thinking about uh, the big characteristics and attributes of God, and I want to just unfold it in ways that think about the character of God. While he's talking about all that he's created, the psalmist is, really what he's pointing to is who God is and what God's done. Everything centers on him, and he receives the glory. In the honor. In verses one through four, uh, we see God is awesome. Uh, I I believe this is a word uh, that in some ways, and I don't always do it, it's a word I like, uh, but I believe it's a word that maybe should be reserved for God himself. In, In the scriptures, it talks again and again, especially through the Psalms, about God being awesome in his majesty. God is an awesome God, a God to be held in awe. Uh, And imagine if we just reserved that word for him. Uh, And in verses 1 through 4, we see that awesomeness of God. The psalmist starts out and he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you're very great. You're clothed with splendor and majesty. He begins the psalm, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and he ends the psalm this way. Here he is. He he just begins and says, Bless the Lord. And, And what does that word bless mean? It means to speak well of. And just on a personal note, the psalmist is saying, he's really just inviting us in to what's happening with him. But he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Let my soul speak well of God. That's what he's saying. The, the Hebrew word, the, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, and the Hebrew word for soul is nephesh. It means all of who we are. When the psalmist says, bless the Lord, oh my soul, he's saying, I want to speak well of God with all of who I am. And I heard somebody say the other day, and I hear this often, we think about uh, oftentimes our head doesn't connect to our heart, that, that we've, we know something, but it doesn't connect to our heart. And I know what someone's saying when they say that, but I think there's a better way biblically to think about that idea. In the Hebrew, the word heart includes the way we think, our motives, our emotions, and our actions. And I think when somebody's saying that the head is not connected to the heart, what they're saying is the way they think is not connecting with the emotions and the actions yet. But that actually is the heart, and the heart is not united, it's divided. The mind is thinking one thing, but the emotions are over here, the motives over here, and the actions aren't quite squaring up. And so the psalmist is saying, I want everything to be united within me that speaks well of God. So the way I think, I want to think deeply and often and accurately about God. And I want that to so stir my emotions that there's a joy, that there's a a gladness in my heart that matches the way I think about God. And that, that changes my motivations, the knowledge of who God is, so that the reason I do what I do is out of a love for God and what he's done for me. It's the love of Christ that motivates my heart. And when my heart's motivated that way, then the life of Christ is flowing through my life and I'm submitted to him and now my actions are squaring up with the way I think and the way I feel and the way I'm motivated. So when he says, bless the Lord, oh my soul, we don't wanna just pass by that line. we wanna know, what he's saying is, I wanna speak well of God in every aspect of who I am. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, why? Cause, oh Lord my God, you're very great. God is a great God. He's clothed with splendor and majesty in who he is, that metaphor of clothing. He's the king in all his glory. In verse 2, we start to see something that unfolds through this psalm. And the psalmist, it seems, has in mind Genesis 1, the first book of the Bible, the creation account. And... He goes through, in an indirect way, all six days of creation through this psalm. And I'll point those out as we move through it. In verse 2, covering yourself with light is with a cloak. Uh, On the first day of creation, God said in Genesis 1, 3 through 5, let there be light, and there was. As the psalmist is, is thinking back to that light that God created, he covers himself with light is with a cloak. He stretches out heaven like a tent curtain. This is like day two of creation in Genesis one, six through eight. And it's there that God establishes the firmament or the heavens that separate the waters, and he's describing it in a metaphorical way. He stretched out heaven like a tent curtain. He lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. On Friday afternoon, most of us experience uh, quite a storm depending on where you were. And, and at the men's retreat, I was actually in Glen Rose, and I, I delayed and didn't go till later in the afternoon. And and when I, when I arrived in Glen Rose, I looked off to the left. One, I passed a, a friend of mine uh, that was going also, and he said, hey, look to the left, there's a rainbow. So that was kind of cool as we headed there. And then I was driving into Glen Rose, and when I drove into there, I looked off to the left, and I saw cloud formations I don't think like I've seen before, it was just, a sweeping motion uh, of the clouds in, in all their thickness. And I'd been hanging out in this psalm, so it made me think about that's God's chariot right there that he has created uh, in the way we think about him uh, in the clouds. And, and I looked at it and I thought maybe I should take a picture. And one of the things my wife's great about reminding me of is sometimes we ought to just enjoy the moment. Uh, and I was driving and I saw a, a lady, she stopped to take a picture of it. And I thought, she's missing the moment, I enjoyed the moment, she just missed it. Because that picture's not gonna do justice. But every time we look in the clouds, we see psalms evokes an awe and a wonder of who God is, the one who shapes and forms, and He makes them his chariot. it 's the way He moves. He walks upon the wings of the wind, and then he makes reference to the angels in verse four. He makes the winds his messengers, that word messengers uh, the word for angels, flaming fire is ministers. Uh, this is a, a psalm that's quoted this verse in Hebrews chapter one, verse seven and 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 in Hebrews 1, it's establishing that Jesus is superior. Uh, And here we see that God uh, is superior, uh, even over the angels. uh, But they are um, his his ministers, his messengers. In verses 5 through 9, I want us to think about God as creator. He's awesome. And he's the creator. And and one thing that is clear in this psalm, is that God is distinct from his creation. We we live in a culture where many see creation and the creator and us all as one. That we're all one with nature. That, That is a worldview. It is a reality through which people see life. This psalmist is saying no, God is distinct from that which he has created. He's awesome. He's the creator. He's distinct from what he's created. Now, a, friend of, <clears throat> a friend of mine was sharing a story this week about a friend of hers. And this friend of hers has a horse ranch in North Carolina uh, and often will send uh, Pictures of the horses, pictures of the the changing leaves in the seasons, where they have seasons, uh, and and they send that, uh, and just different things in God's creation. And this is a friend that, in the North Carolina friend, did not come to Jesus uh, until an adult. And so the the friend here at church that she texted her or asked her, said, Hey, how did you view creation? when you are not a follower of Jesus? And how do you view creation now? It's a fantastic question. And this was the North Carolina friend's answer. When she was a teenager, she was into all kinds of religions that worshiped nature. She was fascinated by the beauty of nature, and that actually made perfect sense to her that you would worship that which is beautiful. As she got older, She learned computer programming. And as she learned computer programming, one day it just clicked for her that worshiping nature is no different than worshiping the computer program. She actually needed to find the programmer. And then when she reads the Bible now in the creation account, she knows that God is the programmer. He's the one worthy of worship. That's how her view changed. It's still beautiful to her, all of creation and nature. It's still fascinating. But now she worships the creator who's distinct from that which has been created. It points to the creator. And that's who she worships. Verses 5 through 9, as we think about God as creator, he established the earth upon its foundation so it will not totter forever and ever. It's it's established The the earth is established and uh, and you covered it with the deep as with the garment in verse six. The waters were standing above the mountains. It at your rebuke, they fled at the sound of your thunder. They hurried away. The mountains rose and the valleys sank down to the place which you established for them. God is the one that set the mountains and the valleys in place. He's the one that caused the waters to flee so that they would take the shape that they take. He established it. And, and you set a boundary that they may not pass over so that they will not return uh, to cover the earth. God is the one who designed all of this. It's stable because He set the boundaries, He's established it. It's not going to totter, He has it. It's His as the Creator. I ran into a guy the other day and just, he was talking about the Webb Space Telescope that's replaced the Hubble Telescope and the images that are coming out of that. I mean, they're stunning. And he said, he didn't name the, the name of the astrophysicist. He said, but I read the other day about an astrophysicist who said, with all this that's coming out on the, the Webb Space Telescope, he said, no way this is random. No way. There is design and purpose and intention behind all that there is. In the the beauty of this, I was thinking about it, I thought how cool that God would take finite, fragile, weak, broken human beings and give them the ability to explore, discover, create, and see all that God made. See, God has a view where all of this is for him. It's for his enjoyment and his delight, and he invites us in to be a part of what he's created. And little by little, we see the magnificence of it. See, science and God do not have to be in conflict. They come in conflict when science establishes itself or someone establishes science as God. Science is a beautiful thing. It helps us discover and see the beauty and the detail and the magnificence of what God created. With every picture and every discovery and every detail, it ought to just evoke a wonder and an awe of God, not of science. But God who would allow us to even capture parts of what it is that he's created in all of its vastness, but God is not only an awesome creator, He is the provider in verses 10 through 18, he sends forth springs in the valleys, they flow between, so those mountains that he created, uh, they, they, they now have springs flowing through them, they give drink to every beast of the field, so they're taken care of, the wild donkeys quench their thirst, they're taken care of, beside them the birds of the heavens dwell, they lift up their voices among the branches, they just sing uh, among us, it was mentioned yesterday after our solitude time, uh, when we awakened yesterday at the retreat, Uh, The stars were blanketing the sky. The birds were singing. There was a peace and a calm. God is the one who does this. He causes their voices to lift up. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of his works. God manages the springs and the waters for that which is his. And he provides graciously and carefully for them. Causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the labor of man so that he may bring forth food from the earth in verse 14. That's day three in creation in Genesis 1, 11 and 12. Uh, God established the vegetation in the trees. Someone said one time, I thought it was a good descriptor of Genesis 1, the creation account, that you can think about the first three days as the form. God created the form for everything so that in days four through six, what he created could exist in that form. That, that's intentional design. Form, and then we can function inside that form. That's what we've seen so far, even as the psalmist reflects on it. Verse 15, And wine which makes man's heart glad, so that he may make his face glisten with oil, and food which sustains man's heart. God is the provider of the sustenance that we need, and then the wine, he says, to make our, our hearts glad, to have a joy. I, I want to make a quick side comment about alcohol because I believe that wine can be a good thing and then it can be a bad thing. Those good gifts of God can become those things that are not so good anymore. And I, I think we would all agree that, that drunkenness is is uh, wrong. It's, it's sinful against God. That, that's clear from scripture. Uh, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, you love God, his word, it's what it says. There's not a way to, to get around that. So we, we could probably all agree there. I think where we might choose to part ways is how we think about alcohol in general at that point. And some of us have experiences that, that cloud our minds a little more than someone else might have. But, but this is one thing I would say. When I read scripture, this is what I understand wine would be for, is for enjoyment, and that's what it's for. It's You can use alcohol as an escape and not get drunk. And I would suggest that's an improper use of God's good design of it. If you need it to loosen up on the dance floor, I would suggest that's not God's best use of it. It is simply for the heart to be glad. Now, if you'd love to have a conversation about this another time, I'd be glad to do that. Just wanted to make a side note. It is for enjoyment. When it steps past enjoyment, you'll be hard-pressed to find a biblical case for what you're going to do then. We just want to make sure we use God's good gifts in the way that God intended us to use them. Some of us have backgrounds where that which could be enjoyed We need to die to, because if you come from a family of alcoholics, the odds are not in your favor of it staying at the enjoyment level. So we need to make good decisions around God's good gifts. So he's the provider, he's the the sustainer, and he gives us things to enjoy and delight. And that would be for each of us before God, under his word, to figure out what that looks like. The trees of the Lord drink their fill, the cedars of Lebanon, which he planted, where the birds build their nests, and the stork whose home is the fir tree. Verse 18, the high mountains are for the wild goats, the cliffs are a refuge for the shephonim. The shephanim are small, wild, kind of furry animals. So all of these things that God is the provider for, he's the provider for us in humanity, our basic substance, the same for that which he's created uh, in all of his creation. So he's awesome, he's the creator, and he is the provider. And the fourth thing I would say about God out of this psalm is that he's a rhythmic God in verses 19 through 23. Now, I got a different sense of rhythm this weekend in the men's retreat. Uh, I don't know what it's like at a ladies' retreat. I don't even usually hear how it rolls when you stay in a cabin with multiple people. But the place where I stayed, uh, there were multiple men in in a bunk kind of setting. And I was told when I got there that one cabin was, it was a little more full and there was another one less full. And I thought, okay, well, the odds are better if I go to that one, there will be less snoring and a better shot that I might get a good night's sleep. Uh, and so I chose that one. Bad move. <laughs> as soon as the lights go out, uh, maybe a few minutes later, uh, the guy right next to me just went into snoring mode. Loud, rhythmic, not so beautiful. All night long, I listened. I was thinking, surely you'll get exhausted of snoring and it'll stop. It did not. The next morning, uh, several of us who didn't sleep, and, and I was actually contemplating the injustice of it all. I thought, why is it that the persons who snore seem to sleep well and the rest of us don't well what what is that how how does that play out i did appreciate in one cabin a guy who knows he snores brought earplugs for everybody else that's care but it was really funny because we were walking to breakfast that we were talking about the snoring and one guy said it was very rhythmic and i thought that maybe But he said, you know, there was like one guy that really set the pace. And then it seemed like some others came in singing a melody and then the harmony. And it was kind of all working together. And I thought, all right, maybe. But God is more rhythmic than a snoring group of men. In the way that he's created, orderly and rhythmically, His creation. Verse 19 He made the moon for the seasons. The sun knows the place of its setting. You appoint darkness, and it becomes night, in which all the beasts of the forest prowl about. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their food from God. When the sun rises, they withdraw and lie down in their dens. Man goes forth to his work and to his labor until evening. God, God designed a rhythm. He set in day four in Genesis 1, in that account, uh, he sets in place in verses 14 through 19, two great luminaries, the, the moon and the sun. And it would be the moon and the sun, and he places the stars. Uh, but it would be the moon and the sun and the way he worked and designed them that we have our seasons and our days and our years and the way they're established. God is rhythmic in the way he's designed that and the way he expresses it here. He's designed humans to work in the day and the animals, they do their thing during the night. Oh, God is orderly and rhythmic and worthy to be praised in the way he's designed that which is his. Over the last, uh, the last several weeks, I've been highlighting uh, different high schools and Uh, we've wanted to just show what God's doing through our students at 121 on different high school campuses and and today uh, I want to highlight Faith Christian Uh, their mascot is the lion so I thought we could just pause here at verse 21 where the young lions roar after their prey uh, and God's mention of the lions and uh, and to talk about what's going on uh, at, at Faith and I've been a good sport on a lot of this and so I was brought this mascot head. I feel like I'm an ESPN about to pick the winner for the day. Uh, and I, I've worn it. I did it. So there you go. <laughs> but I love what's happening on the campus uh, at Faith Christian. And when I think about this 104th Psalm, what they're doing on that campus, in a private Christian education, is is weaving together and loading the students with, um, with God's word, with experiences to uh, encounter God in different ways, with the hope that the hearts of those students will be grabbed and that there will be a wonder and an awe of God awakened in them for him. You see, strategically, you're, you're loading kids up early with the scripture and, and just load their minds, load their minds with it. And with the hope uh, uh, parents of parents of four kids that have already graduated from a private school in the area. Uh, they told me the other day, I thought it was so good. They said, you know what? There is no question that every kid that came out of the school, our kids were. They know and understand a biblical worldview. But you cannot change the heart of the kid. We can't educate to get the heart where we want the heart to be. Only God rescues and grabs the heart. We can load it up with the truth and the awe and the wonder with the hope that God will cause their hearts to look at him in all of his creation and he's stirred with an awe and a wonder. And and I really only think, when we have that wonder and awe, will we go all-in in following after God? And I love that Faith Christian is doing exactly that. I had several stories from them I want to share and ways God's working in those students. One came from a teacher, and it's their debate teacher. And she described what happens in their debate tournament. She said, as a Christian school, we could just function uh, in debates with other Christian schools. But we've on purpose chosen not to do that so that we're encountering all different worldviews. We're training our students in a biblical worldview. We're training them in all the other worldviews so they'll know how to speak their worldview. And all worldviews cannot be true because each worldview claims to be true. So, so we, we can't do this whole, sync it all up and it all works together. It, it does not, because each one has different truth claims and they can't all be true at once. And So we're, we're training our students to do so. And she described one of her students, Abby, uh, who uh, was at a debate tournament. She met another young lady who has a naturalist worldview meaning she doesn't have a God-centered worldview. It would be like I spoke of earlier with nature. Uh, and this girl, two of the topics that they were going to speak of at the debate, one was on uh, legalizing prostitution, and they were going to debate the merits of that. And the other debate topic, uh, at this particular one, uh, was uh, to increase funding for gender-affirming surgeries for minors. These were their debate topics. The girl that's not Abby said to Abby, I bet you don't even debate these. Because she just made an assumption about the Christian student that she's not going to tackle these topics. And she said, oh, no, I'm I've studied these. I'm, I'm ready for these. And they ended up having a long conversation around these things. They learned things about each other. They had a civil and respectful conversation with each other. Uh, And that other girl walked away uh, with a whole new perspective of someone that follows Jesus. And there are several students, they run into this again and again at the debate tournaments and, and the way they're being prompted. Other 121-ers that are part of that debate team are Ellen Agenbaugh, Isabel Agenbaugh, Abby Tos, Jacob Tos, Ellie Marie Powers, Wyatt Powers, Jace Walker, Jackson Walker, Hudson Smith, Caden Marchetti. Jermaine and I were talking this morning and said how cool it is there's so many students that are actively following Jesus. And by the way, just because someone's at a Christian school doesn't mean they're following Jesus. I don't know what your perspective is, but when I was 20 years old, I went to Washtenaw Baptist University. My idea of a Baptist school was that everybody there was a Christian. Everybody there loved God. Everybody followed Jesus. And this was going to be like one giant worship service when I showed up on campus. That was in my head. I had no idea that there would be people there that aren't Christians. uh, and, And there was everything on that campus. So just because we're in that kind of environment doesn't mean people are following Jesus. Now, I loved my time there, and there was opportunity there that was different, perhaps, uh, than at other places. Other students at Faith Christian, uh, Camden Foster uh, just uh, started there not too long ago. She's in two Bible studies, and then she's also a Bible buddy to a fourth grader. They've designed it where the older uh, are teaching the younger, uh, which is a beautiful picture from Scripture. Uh, And then... Uh, Luke Matthews, uh, his uh, creative arts uh, teacher, Scott Wernst, who used to be a part of 121 years ago, loves God. Uh, He just wrote paragraphs uh, gushing uh, about Luke uh, and his boldness, his faith, uh, and the way he's using the Christian arts uh, to glorify and honor uh, God. R.J. Weaver, another uh, young man in our church i know he's as solid as can be and uh, he didn't tell us anything about himself he wrote about his friends Brendan bird and others and the way they're living out for jesus peyton awalt talked about how her freshman retreat uh, that three uh, kids accepted christ to reaffirm their faith in christ and just love seeing what god's doing uh, in that way chase cross quarterback football team uh, has just loved his time uh, at the school his football coach is doing a Bible study on Sunday afternoons with them, uh, with the seniors, and just helping them get ready uh, as they get uh, ready to take off uh, from campus. Anna Matlock another from our uh, church that's at, uh, there. She just transferred in uh, not too long ago as well. And uh, now she's one that's helping new students as they come on uh, to that campus. I love that God's working in different ways. Uh, and there's a number of other ways uh, that he's working uh, through them these are young lions they are living out uh, what God has called they, they have an awe and a wonder of God if you read what they say you, just, you can you can see it and hear it what they're saying oh, oh my God do that uh, with us he's the provider God is also a wise God in verses 24 through 26 oh Lord how many are your works in wisdom you've made them all the earth is full of your possessions There's the sea, great and broad, in which are swarms without number, animals both small and great. There the ships move along, and Leviathan, which you've formed to sport in it. This corresponds to day five of creation in Genesis 1, 20 through 23, where God creates the water creatures. And uh, and the Leviathan here, most think that's a word for the whales, for the giant uh, sea creatures that are in the water. And do you notice what what the psalmist says about them? That That God made the Leviathan which you formed to sport in it to delight in it to play in it. You see see again, so often we think uh these things are about us paying a few uh you know sixty or seventy dollars to get a tour to go see what what 's happening but there's whales right now all over the oceans that are delighting sporting. Uh, moving throughout, rhythmically singing and dancing, and God is enjoying every bit of it because he created them to sport and delight in the water which he made. Oh, God is a God who's wise in the way that he's created and designed in that same water where the whales are at play, the ships are moving about. Oh, He's a, a wise God. It's why the scripture says if you lack wisdom... Ask God because He possesses every ounce of wisdom in all eternity. He's a God who is also the sustainer. In verses 27 through 30, they all wait for you to give them their food in due season. You give to them, they gather it up. You open your hand, they're satisfied with good. You hide your face, they're dismayed. You take away their spirit, they expire. Return to their dust. You send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. God has designed the days, He's designed um, what will happen in those days, when things will begin, when things will end, when things will be renewed. And He's the one that sustains that which is living right now. Well, we don't have to live in a a media driven uh, fear or anxiety. Uh, about the earth about the world we want to be responsible and care for it god's given it to us to care for but we don't need to be in this panic like everything's going to fall apart god is the sustainer of that which he has created he he designed it he made it and he upholds it and he create and he sustains it he works things in his time and in his way. And then God is a glorious God in verses 31 and 32. Let the glory of the Lord endure forever. Let the Lord be glad in his works. He looks at the earth and it trembles. He touches the mountains and they smoke. Let the Lord be glad in his works. Let the uh, the glory of the Lord endure forever. God is a glorious God. He's awesome. He's the creator. He's the provider. He's wise. He's the sustainer. Uh, He's the one who uh, is glorious in all that is. So all glory goes to him. And I've mentioned it a couple of times. I just want to highlight it here one more time. Let God, let the glory of the Lord, let the Lord be glad in his works. He's glad in what he's made. He enjoys it. He enjoys the sunset, the sunrise. He enjoys the formation of the clouds. He enjoys the rain when it falls. He enjoys the the lightning. Uh, He enjoys the thunder. He enjoys the wind when it's soft and gentle and when it comes hard. He enjoys uh, the mountains and the different seasons and the changing of the leaves. He finds delight in all that. He enjoys the mountain streams. He enjoys uh, every aspect of what he's made. So all glory to God, and that, again, He invites us in to what He enjoys. He's created this for Himself, and He's invited us in to be a part of it. It would be similar to, you have certain things to enjoy. We had, I don't know how many different families that let us use lake houses, ranches, and so forth this weekend. They, they invited us in to enjoy that which has been given to them, And then in that, we're seeing men all over uh, two hours from here in different places that are being evoked to an awe and wonder of God from those places. They're just invited into it. So the psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's, and and it's all His. So we're, we're just simply inviting people in to what God has given us. And what God has given us, He's invited us in to enjoy what is his? This whole psalm is about God, and a fresh awakening to Him. So, what's our response to that? In verses thirty-three through thirty-five, it's to be glad. In the same way that He is, we can know that our hearts are in really good spots when we're glad, when we see the beauty and goodness and truth of God and we're glad about that, that's the right response. When there's some awakening in us of an awe and a wonder of what God has done, this is the response. Verse 33, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. One response to all that God has done is song. And he doesn't say, those who sing really well, this should be your response. (laughs) Thank goodness, y'all couldn't hear that up here, somebody said. One, One way that we might know how glad our heart is, is how loud we sing. When we gather together on a Sunday morning. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. It says something about us. Just guessing for the college football fanatics. I'll bet your voice about goes out by the end of a game. And then I'll bet if you're a real loyalist to your school, you can still sing that. School song at the end. With vigor. Someone sent me them singing their school song yesterday. What does it say about our hearts if we can't sing loud and with a joy? Because he says, this is, my, this is my response to the awe and wonder of God My heart expresses itself in a song. Now I know some of us probably sing louder in the car or in the shower or other places because we're self-conscious about our voices. But imagine if we could just get so captured by God that it just didn't matter who was around us. I'm just going to sing the way I know how to sing because my heart is so in awe of who God is right now, I can't help it. And God will fix that in the end. It'll sound better when we're all together. In the the meantime, we can just kinda endure that with one another. But it's a glorious noise uh, that comes to him when we sing. It's not only just a song, though, that's just a thought. But verse 34, let my meditation be pleasing to him. As for me, I shall be glad in the Lord. So the Lord's glad in his works. The psalmist says he's glad. Let my meditation be pleasing to him. That's one of the things I love about our men's retreat this weekend. you're thinking, I, I told you there's no speaker in worship, and the first pictures you saw were a speaker in worship. Thursday night, we had a beast feast. Travis <laughs> led us in the worship. It was excellent. <clears throat> and then um, Paul Johnson, who's a part of our body, he spoke, really just encouraged our men. Uh, but the rest of the weekend, it's, it's really about meditating on the Lord, what the psalmist said. It, it's, it's getting alone with God and meditating and chewing on and thinking about the things of God and when we carve out those spaces we actually have time to meditate and chew on the things of god and our guys yesterday were just saying that they've loved the space because it's so hard to make that space with the pace of their lives but a response when we're having awe and wonder of god is to to meditate on it to think on it to not just just pass by the stars but stop and Gaze at the stars, not just to pass by the, the bee that's uh, around the flower, but to really look at the bee that's around the flower. There's just an awe and a wonder about everything. One of the things I love about my wife, she, she loves all of what God has created, and the littlest things, there's just a delight in her. It just comes out. Uh, oh, we just have that awakened in us, but it causes an awe and a wonder of God and His creation, we chew on it. But you know what's really funny about this psalm is the way it ends. It's just so upbeat. And then verse 35, let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. It's like he looks around and says, this is so beautiful and so good. Could we just please eliminate all the sinful things, so that we can see it even more in its beauty, in its goodness, in its truth. Even those beautiful and majestic things that we get to see that God has made, they're still tainted by sin. The scripture says that creation is groaning right now because of the sins of humanity. And that creation eagerly awaits when Jesus will make all things right so that creation no longer groans. Creation groans because you and I groan. Because the image of God in us has been marred by sin. And we miss out when we're not glad And we're not evoked to an awe and wonder, it's that ugly sin that's going to be messing around in there that's going to stall that out. So the one hope we have is that somehow we would be restored into glad hearts. And that comes through Jesus, who he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. It's interesting, this psalm is about the creator. We learn in the New Testament of Scripture that it's actually through Jesus that God created. He's the image of God, the firstborn of all creation. And for by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, the visible and the invisible, the rulers and the authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. For Jesus. In John 1, the writer of John says that that nothing has come into being that has come into being except through Jesus, through him. He's the creator. And and he's the one that, that being created through is also the one through whom you and I can be recreated so that our hearts can be brought back from the dead and made alive again through his work on the cross. It's in Jesus then that we find our rescue. And for every person in knows Jesus, our dead heart that wasn't beating and is now a live heart that is beating and that's alive and can see these things. In the meantime, as we continue to grow and to become more like him, the end of the Bible says in Revelation 21 and 22, God says, I'm going to make all things new. So we're in this already not yet time frame where God has created It's been broken by the sin of humanity. God is recreating through what he's done in Christ. We're being made more and more like him. And one of God's good gifts to us is that every morning his mercies and compassions are new. So we're made new creations. Every day is a new and fresh start in the rhythmic way that God has designed things. And then in the end, all things will be made new. Everything will be restored back to the way it was intended to be in Genesis 1 and 2. And for that, the psalmist offers praise. One of the students at Faith Christian, Hallie Walker, I saved hers for last. I love what she wrote. She said that she has found over the last, um, I don't know how long ago, Oh, this year. She's just really seen God stabilize her and to trust his plan for her. And since she's done that and just trusted him, she's been happier, truly content and more confident than she's ever been. That's what happens in Jesus when we find our stability in him. But she said, I've tried to live my life for Christ at school by praying fervently for my friends that don't know Christ it makes me sad that even in a Christian school, some of my friends are so far off from what we've grown up learning. I have their names written in my Bible, and I pray for them every night and while I'm going about my day. Oh, that's that's my prayer with Hallie. That so many who have learned about Jesus that have not turned to him. That their hearts will be grabbed by God. But there will be an awe and a wonder that God would substitute in, lay his life down for me. And I'd be so awestruck by that. The only thing I can do is to surrender, believe, repent, yield, follow. And when I see through those eyes, now I see all of this creation in a whole different way. And it's an awe and a wonder of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. I'd like for us to respond to God today in song. And Travis is going to lead us. The the psalmist said, I'll sing to the Lord as long as I live. And and I'd love for us today uh, to do that with an awe and a wonder of who God is.
1: It was really cool this week, getting to hang out with guys Thursday and then over the weekend and just hearing stories from the guys and there's nothing like getting around campfire with guys and just talking and talking about Jesus and, and, and sharing stories about where we are at in our walks. And it's the same thing in this congregation. We're all coming from different places. We heard stories from guys where Jesus is just radically changing their life. They're having an encounter with God and their life is just being transformed because of Jesus. There's other guys who are trying to press into Jesus, but their life is being transformed because of the enemy. And it's tough, it's tough to listen to. It's tough to hear guys that you love saying, man, I'm really trying to press into God, but I'm being fed lies. And they're, they're falling for it because it's a trap. So as we sing this next song, we know we all come from different places. And I just wanna read some of the lyrics and, and just kinda set our hearts on where we can come from to, to sing this song. And the song is, I will praise you from the mountains. I will praise you when the mountains in my way. Because you are the summit where my feet are. So no matter where we are at, we are standing on God's word. When God, we stand on God's word, that is the summit. No matter the valley that we're in, no matter what, we are on God's summit. But then it says, I will praise you in the valleys all the same. There's no less God within the shadows. Because all the shadow is, it's something blocking the light, right? The light is still there. The light doesn't go away. There's just something that's standing in the middle where you can't see the light and that's the enemy. And we learn there are guys that are having a hard time seeing to that shadow. But it says, you're no less faithful when the night leads me astray. You're the heaven where my heart is and the highlands and the heartache all the same. So as we reflect, you can stand, you can kneel, you can do whatever God is calling you to but we know that when we press into Jesus, that we can firmly say and sing that wherever I walk through, wherever I am, that his name can move mountains wherever we stand. And if ever we walk through the valley of death, then we'll sing through the shadows. It's our song of ascent. So we're able to sing through the shadows into God's light, and we know that that shadow is just something blocking us from it. And so this morning as we sing, We get to cast the darkness away. God, cast that darkness away. We can sing into the light. Amen.
2: It's the rush of grace descending From the source of its supply Cause in the highlands and the heartache In me the more or less inclined And I would search and stop at nothing you you're just not that high I will praise You on the mountain. I will praise You in the mountains in my way, You're the summit where my feet. So I'll praise You in the valleys, of the same. No less God within the. Shine. them.
0: been listening to the 121 Community Church Podcast. For more information about 121, visit us at 121cc.com.